Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dill Journey podcast. Super stoked that you can make it back for another session. How awesome was last episode with Lily Van Mia sharing some awesome, awesome stories about what it's like to be in the public high pretty much 24-7 and how she's going to be in Hollywood soon. Um, Look out for her. She's going to be the next Margot Robbie. So um, shout out to Lily. Thanks so much for jumping on. And now on to the next episode. We are on, I think it's episode eight now. This is awesome. We're, We're absolutely pumping them out. And um, today I've got on Denny all the way from the UK and he has been a mentor, a life coach, he does a lot of community stuff and now he's working with one of the most world-renowned chefs, uh, Jamie Oliver. Now, um, Denny has, he grew up on the coast, he went to uh, TSS and he's had, uh, he's got a few stories to tell. And we talk about um, organic versus normal produce and how the schooling system is failing entrepreneurs. So really, really interesting podcast. Super excited to share it with you guys. So sit back, chuck the earphones in and um, enjoy. Okay, well, let's rip into it. Um, So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Danny, and thanks for jumping on today. So I'll delve straight into it. And the way I like to sort of break the ice is by asking you something that's a little quirky and might be a little bit weird that not a lot of people know about you. Uh, Oh, wow. That's that's an interesting one. Uh, So... It's difficult these days with social media, isn't it? Because you share yes. your life with everyone uh, on social media. So a lot of people know what I do, something quirky. I do believe that my great-grandfather uh, was from Fiji. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, so okay. now let's take a step back and hear about your high school years. Like let's say around year 11, year 12. Uh, what school were you at and what did you want to become? Cool. So I went to TSS, the South, the Southport School on the Gold Coast, many, many, many years ago. And back then, it was my passion to pursue a career in art. So I really loved uh, the art program at TSS and was given a lot of opportunities to, to uh, get into art. Um, and so that was my dream. Mm-hmm. And um, so like... Did uh, your parents influence your decision? Like, what did what were they doing at the time? Did they like have a big influence, or? Well, not really. I've always been hugely independent, so mm. I kind of just really, you know, I, it's it's difficult when you're in year eleven and twelve to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I think it's, you know, it, it, a lot of young people these days try different careers before they finally find what they're passionate about. Uh, so my parents were very understanding and gave me a lot of freedom to explore what I wanted to do, but it was always art that I kept on coming back to. Yeah. Awesome. So then after school finished, did you go straight to university or did you take a little gap year? No, I was really lucky. So, uh, at TSS, we were given the opportunity to go on an exchange program if we wanted to. And I basically chose to go to a place in Canada called Lakefield, 
one for a number of reasons, Dylan. One, uh, no one had ever been there before, so I thought I'd be a bit of a trailblazer and go yeah. somewhere where no one will have been before. But then secondly, I just looked at this brochure. I remember looking at it and it was like Canada, there was wilderness and kayaking and skiing. And I just thought, this is, looks like such an adventure. And so I decided to go to Canada and I went for initially three months, but ended up staying for nearly the whole year. I did year 13 over there. And then that's when my real sort of passion for art was developed too. And then I came back and went to art school. Yeah. So are you like thankful that you did take that gap year? Do you think like it was good to really just sort of take a break from everything, really find what you were passionate about? And would you recommend it to um, young people out there who are just finishing school? Yeah, so for me, it really worked. I mean, it was, I, I needed uh, just to get out there and explore and take some, some time out, which I did. But I, I think everyone is so individual now that it really, there's not like one shoe fits all. So there may, you may finish high school and be so passionate about going to uni and you can't wait to get there, then, then go and do it. But then also, I think it's, there's a lot of pressure on young people these days uh, to finish high school and the exams that you have to do, that when you finish, to my mind, it'd be, you know, there's some great freedom in actually taking that year off and exploring or even volunteering or, you know, traveling around Australia. I don't think everyone has to jump on a plane and do what I did and head to the opposite end of the earth. But for me, it, it certainly worked. I think it just to do what you think makes you happy. I think there's a lot of burnout now from high school. I think there's a lot of pressure the young people are studying. Uh, I think that exams are not the way that uh, people should be, um, it's not the way you should be qualified, not qualified, but not the way you should be tested because the typical classroom environment doesn't suit everyone. So it's up to everyone, but it, it definitely worked for me. Yeah, 100%. So, um, like, when you were in school, did you, were you a person who preferred tests or assignments? Oh, te- assignments. Assignments, yeah. I couldn't stand yeah. <laughs> tests. It was just so much pressure that I put myself under. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a lot different back there. It was 1981 I finished in TSS, so things were yeah. a lot different. But I definitely much preferred uh, assignments. I'm not somebody who can sit still for too long, so I just mm. found that yeah. frustrating to be in the same room. So. Yeah, assignments for sure. Yeah. So do you think that the schooling system needs to like uh, have a change? Because, you know, it was built for the industrial revolution and it seems like it's failing a lot of entrepreneurs and I guess a lot of creatives in a way. Um, And yeah, do you see it changing or it's just going to be the same? I think it definitely has to change because everyone learns differently. So some people learn by doing. So, mm. you know, a lot of, um, I'm a qualified mentor and life coach. So young, a lot of young people I work with, they learn by, by more practical, uh, in more practical ways. So for instance, I'll give you an example. You know, if you need to learn math, I mean, I failed terribly at math. I just didn't get it. And I just struggled. However, there are ways that you can teach math. So if you say, you know, plant a, a garden outside and you have to measure the distance between, say, if you plant two um, tomato plants, you have to measure that distance. And, you know, there's ways that you can learn that are much more creative than the typical classroom environment. And I think definitely it, it, it does need to change. And I think it is changing in a way too, because I think young people are 
you know, as well, there's a lot of discussions around young people having dyslexia and ADHD and not being able to kind of concentrate. Well, we need to look after those young people. We need to yeah. give them other ways of learning rather than just, you know, giving them uh, tanning, you know, almost like um, brushing them with a brush that they're, they're not smart. I mean, there's different ways of being smart too. There's emotional intelligence. There's, so I think, yeah, I think definitely it has to change and I think it is changing too. Yeah, definitely. I like how you um, sort of personalize it. So like, let's say if you were into like food or you were into sports relating mathematics or all your subjects around that to maybe, you know, you might see them increase their marks because they're actually more interested in it. So yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Um, so now when did you take the leap of faith to obviously go to England and, um, land a job with Jamie Oliver? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I've been in London for 21 years. Um, I went backpacking in the nineties, the mid nineties. Yep. And I took off for nearly three years and I traveled everywhere. I went back to Canada to see all my mates at school and I had friends in London. So I came to London as well. And I went home after the two year experience of backpacking. And I was living in Melbourne and I absolutely loved it. I had a great job. I used to work for Craft Victoria, helping them set up all their exhibitions and, you know, life was great. However, I felt that I really wanted to experience the big wide world a bit more in terms of working because before I'd just been backpacking. So I got the uh, working visa because my grandparents are from the UK and I arrived in 1998. Uh, And I just had sort of, a vague idea of what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the arts uh, back then, but it was very difficult because I knew no one and London was back then a place where you needed to know people. And I ended up, um, strangely enough, temping in the education department at IBM and all my mates in Australia were saying, what are you doing? You're crazy. Like you're working for this big multinational and you've sold your soul. And, but I just sort of enjoyed it and I enjoyed sort of learning that world of digital and tech. And I had a job where I used to travel through Europe as well. So I really, really loved it. So I knew it wasn't forever though. So I took off and went traveling again. So I saved some money, came back to London and I didn't have a job. I basically sent my CV out to everyone I knew. And uh, back then a mate of mine was from Melbourne was Jamie's art director. And he said, look, there's a job going in the office. They need a bit of an all rounder. They need somebody with a few kind of techie skills, digital skills, and I applied and I got the job and that was 16 years ago. So it was wow. incredible. I think I was yeah, in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, I knew that uh, my, my interview was at 15 restaurant where all the apprentices were. And I, and I just really respected Jamie for what he'd done with the apprentice program. Yeah. So that was 16, 16 years ago in my first job. Wow. And you've been loving it every day since. <laughs> Love it every day. Yeah. It's been incredible, Dylan. Yeah. Such a variety of jobs I've, you know, experiences I've had here and it's just been like a dream and Mm. feel very blessed and very lucky, uh, very at home. Yeah, definitely. I can see it in the way you're just speaking right now. You just seem so at ease and happy with and content with life. It's awesome to see. (laughs) Um, So what does an average day look like for in the Jamie Oliver kitchen and all that? Yeah. So my current role, I'm Jamie's culture manager. So if you Google culture manager or corporate culture officer, it's, it's uh, roles now that are being created where you're, you work with senior management and you work with staff on staff well-being. 
So mm-hmm. the world being in the state that it is with a lot of the sadness around sort of um, popularism and people being on, you know, with uh, Brexit here in the UK as well, a lot of people are coming to work and they want to be more fulfilled. So they want to know, like, what are we doing for the community at work? What, you know, this, we spend so much time at work that people now are demanding that when they go to work, that they go with the sense that the company is doing some good in the world. So there's these roles being created. It's really interesting. And the, the culture manager sort of sits between HR, senior management uh, and marketing team. And I sort of pick up on all the jobs that, sort of sit in between those three departments. So I get involved in the internal comms. I have two chefs. We do lunch and breakfast for everyone here. I arrange for monthly inspiration sessions. So we get people from all different walks of life coming in to talk to us, to inspire us. And then basically I work with around the food ethos, so food education within the company. There's 150 staff here, so it's a, it's a pretty busy job. But it's sort of, it's really interesting actually because it, it sort of amalgamates all the different jobs that I've had with Jamie into has been amalgamated into this culture manager role. And it's sort of like, I've, you know, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an ambassador for all of Jamie's campaigns and what he does internally for staff. So yeah. That's awesome. It. Yeah. Epic. Um, so now when you have like, I'm sure you got a lot of things on your plate and you're feeling a little over overwhelmed. What do you do? Like, do you practice gratitude or mindfulness? Like, what do you do yeah, to sort of, you know, get away I've from everything? A runner. Yeah, I've become a runner. So I never used to run. Uh, yeah. I did pretty well sports at school, but I was never really a runner. I've run six marathons now. Wow. Uh, and running has become a big part of my life. So that's a good way just to kind of like clear the head. But I also am a big uh, fan of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky many years ago to befriend Andy Puddicom, who is started the app Headspace. Oh, and yeah. yeah, so Andy came on, I was Jamie's website editor and I invited Andy to be a guest blogger on Jamie's website talking about mindfulness and eating. And in return for doing that, he gave, he worked with me for three months, an hour every week for three months, teaching me mindfulness. Wow. And that really it was like eight years ago. And that just set me on the path to, kind of realize that we're not our thoughts and feelings and that as humans we can make choices as to how do we react things so if i come in and it's a stressful day or you know even if you get on the tube on the way to work and you know travel can be a little bit stressful as a human you can choose your reaction to those situations mm. so i'm a big 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 fan of mindfulness it's become a big part of my life um i sleep uh make sure i get eight hours sleep at night i have to get eight hours sleep at night i eat well exercise laugh a lot like that's a real key you gotta laugh yeah. every day and laugh yeah. at yourself too that's <laughs> oh, definitely <laughs> yeah no that's awesome I, i'm sure that would have been a priceless experience that a lot of people yeah. would be truly grateful and you're very lucky to have met the person of headspace i know i yeah. use that app every day it's, it's awesome yeah. so great um now the next segment is food for thought pardon the pun and I'll be asking yeah. some, some questions that are in your yeah. industry that are causing, I don't know, a bit of a stir and stuff like that. Yeah. So firstly, I wanted to get your thoughts between organic produce and let's call it normal GMO produce. Do you believe that yeah. it's worth spending a few extra dollars to get that organic fruit and veg? So I really, obviously Jamie has taught me so much around food. I mean, yeah. I 
had a pretty good food background before. Uh, my grandparents were farmers, and we um, had a farm near Bow Desert. So I grew up as a kid, oh, sort yeah. of knowing produce and knowing about where good food came from. And you know, even my family home when we were in Brisbane, we uh, had chickens and we grew everything ourselves. So kind of, I, I've had a good grounding in food as well. But Jamie has one really, um, really strong ethos which he's taught me and that is it's worth paying a little bit extra for good produce because mm. you're going to get the taste is going to be better so if you buy sort of like a whole punnet of pretty average tomatoes um but then you spend a bit more and you have kind of i don't i don't agree that you always have to buy organic because i mm. also understand that I have a budget too so people you know are under pressure but if you spend a little bit more on produce definitely higher welfare meat I mean, there's no question about it. Higher welfare meat and the taste is always going to be better, but you're doing good for the environment as well. Yeah. Um, and get to know, it's it, you know, just learn and, and learn from chefs and learn from friends who cook as well. I think that's a real, and ask questions too. So yeah. I don't, I guess that you always have to buy organic. What I do believe is just to buy a um, higher welfare meat for sure and better produce as well. Yeah, yeah, awesome. and talking a little bit about meat what are your thoughts on the meat industry like do you believe that yeah. we're going to have enough meat to continue feeding our forever growing planet like so, do you think that we're going to have to incorporate a more plant-based diet yeah well, it's, it's definitely i can only ever speak from some my experience yeah so yeah. i'm in november and i definitely am eating less meat only because mm. i feel it takes i'm more conscious of it takes a lot, lot longer for me to digest. But then secondly, I think, you know, meat production is one of the highest contributors to global warming. And I think we have to, we have no choice. Mm. I also think that people are learning to embrace veg and learning to embrace um, other um, well, veg vegetables as well. But, you know, just learning that it used to be many years ago that meat was a, was a, a treat like once a month you know especially here in the uk you would have a sunday roast once a month and yeah. it was something that family got around and it was a celebration whereas it's become now that we unconsciously just feel like we have to have meat on the plate otherwise we don't feel full yeah so, um, it, it feels like there's a lot of mindfulness around eating too that we need to embrace as well which is you don't always have to have a big steak or you know chicken or meat every day to feel like you're full or feel that you're satisfied. And I think we, you know, you'll see it over here that, you know, the big supermarkets are embracing um, all the vegan sort of diets and vegan products. Mm. One of the things I find weird though is vegan products that are taste like meat. I just yeah. <laughs> they've just, they've came out with a full range in Australia, just in the coals. Yeah. I don't get it. It's like to have a beetroot burger, have a veg burger, like just, Eat veg and celebrate veg. Don't eat a burger like a <laughs> veggie sausage. So uh, I find it weird. Yeah, I find yes. it very weird. I saw some videos of the production of it. I don't know. I reckon it looks worse than processed sausages. I don't even yeah. know how they can come yeah. up with it. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But definitely I can see how people are starting to become a, a lot more aware of it. I think social media has become a big player in it just because um, I know my issue with with a vegetarian slash vegan diet would have been 
oh, you can't get enough protein, but that's just, you yeah. know, that's what society tells you. But as soon as you start questioning it and you actually do a bit of research, yeah. you can get as much protein on a plant-based diet as a meat diet and you feel way yeah. better. Like I've yeah. been doing plant diet for about four weeks now and I love yeah. it. So, yeah. training for when you're, for your running. Yeah, exactly. Feeling, well feeling lighter. <laughs> yeah. um, so now the next subject's all about sort of reflection and people have had a big effect on you and also personal development. So yeah. um, I'll first touch on self-love. So I used to always, you know, grab a mate to go to the talk shop because I felt like I needed that person. And I felt yeah. vulnerable and it, and it looked like I had no friends. And what I've realized yeah. that this was just, um, me realizing that I didn't enjoy my own company, which is weird as it sounds, yeah. but what are your thoughts on self-love? Yeah, definitely. Well, the relationship that you have with yourself is the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a lot to, to develop that because we live in a society where you're supposed to be living this perfect life with the perfect family, a perfect relationship, you know, I think social media has a lot to play in that as well. If you look at Instagram um, and other platforms as well, it's often that people are portraying this perfect perception of how you're supposed to be. And I yeah. think, you know, that can be really challenging. I think, you know, yeah, I, I've i never had a problem being on my own. I've yeah. traveled by myself, I've backpacked, I go to the movies by myself. You know, I just find you, if you just approach it in the right way, you can end up having meeting the most amazing people and mm. having the most amazing conversations. So I'm a big believer in self-love. And as I said, I say it again, the relationship with yourself is the most important one that you'll ever have. Yeah, I love that. It's awesome. It's Yeah, it's one thing I've started to realize that is essential. And um, yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> now, a lot of people I've spoken to have have got a morning ritual. Are you the same? Do you have like something that, you know, you do every morning, you might be you go for a run straight away or you write down five things that you're grateful for. Like, what do you do when you first wake um, up to really smash the day out? Uh, I, I try and wake at the same time every day. I think that really yeah. helps. If I get to bed at 10, getting up at six, yeah, that helps. I tend to take a little bit of what, take a while to kind of, I don't jump straight out of bed. I might just sort of take a while to ease myself into what I do. Yeah. Try as much as I can to practice mindfulness in the morning before anything. But if I don't, I don't make myself wrong. So I don't beat myself up. Yeah. I then find I might do the mindfulness session when I'm on the tube because it doesn't matter where you do it. So one of the things is routine is really important for me. I've got a lot mm-hmm. on. Um, I make sure I have breakfast. I think that's really important. Yeah. I, uh, and also I give myself a lot of time before I go to work. So I, I give myself probably an extra 20 minutes or half an hour than it is what I actually need. Cause okay. I just find that I need that to ease into the day and I need that to get everything together. Um, yeah. I try as much as I can to not grab the phone. I do some fi- sometimes find that I do grab the phone 10 minutes after I've woken up and start checking yeah. everything. I'm, I really try as much as I can not to do that because Quick hit of dopamine. <laughs> that's that's the problem with the phones. They're so addictive. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm trying. I've got the same issue trying to not touch the phone yeah. as soon as you wake up because I know a lot of people 
that are, you know, successful. They say they don't touch their phone when they wake yeah. up. They do their little thing. Yeah. So I'm yeah. trying to get into that habit. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It's, it's, it's incredible when you are conscious of it and you make a conscious effort and you realize when you go to reach it how much it's just like an unconscious process of grabbing that phone. Mm, definitely. I know some people have days where they won't even touch their phone for a whole day. So a Sunday or a, they choose a day where... Obviously, if something's urgent, they might get tracked down. But in terms of going on social media, just to have a day of rest. Which I think yeah, is really wow. interesting. Social media cleansing. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so have you had any significant figures in your life that you'd consider uh, mentors or some and like if you do have mentors do you have them in different aspects of your life so like let's say you might have one for cooking you might have one for you know personal development mindfulness or um anything like that yeah so definitely jamie's been a big part of my life and big part of my life over here he's been yeah i was pa for four years and you know he's been really supportive of me with other projects that I've worked on, so other voluntary kind of uh, projects. Like there's a uh, there's a community in Italy called San Patrignano that I volunteer for, mm-hmm. the world's most successful drug rehabilitation community. So Jamie was really encouraging. I went part time with him for a while and went off and volunteered over there. And he's been a you know just the way he is so uh, driven and has such commitment to making this world a better place through food is, is inspiring. Um, I worked with him really closely on the school dinners program, um, over here, the campaign. And that was incredible just because he works so hard and still does, you know, um, to campaign mm. for better food in the world and for people to have access to better food. Yeah. I think what's been inspiring for me is the project in San Patrignano. That's been a huge influence on me as a person too. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about that project and what yeah. part you have in it? Yeah, so basically it's a community of in Italy near Bologna and there's 1,500 uh, people from 28 countries around the world who go there for a long time, so it's three and a half to four years, to learn how not to take drugs anymore. So it's a rehabilitation community, but I'm what is so incredible about it is it's free and there are also 52 different skills that you can learn when you go there. And that's a big part of kind of what you go there for as well. So I first found the place about seven or eight years ago because we had been there, 15 restaurant had been there for a food festival 10 years ago and nothing really had come from that sort of relationship. And so I went there, seven, I was in Italy on holidays about eight years ago and I just emailed and said, oh, look, I'd love to come and try one of the restaurants. Have two restaurants in, in the community, and they said, "Come and uh, learn. You know, why don't you come for a couple of days and learn a bit more than just coming to the restaurant?" I said, "I'd love to." So I went there, and I was just completely blown away with the scale of the place. It was 250 hectares, but just their absolute commitment to helping people who are having challenges with drugs. So it's a very revolutionary place. So they don't, um, as much as they uh, respect AA and NA, they don't believe that uh, addiction is a disease as such. They believe that the best way forward for young people in particular is to go to confront the reasons why you took drugs in the first place. And so for them, many, you know, for most of these people who have taken drugs, it's you know, quite harrowing to do that. But then after you do that, you rebuild your life again and you do that through becoming good at something. So it's an incredibly humane, beautiful, extraordinary community. And when I first went there, I'd 
knew I wanted to give back and kind of see if I can volunteer for them. So I spent a lot of time kind of learning about the community. I spent a lot of time sort of learning about their processes, what they do. And then about four years ago, they asked if I would be interested in volunteering more. So I set up a UK San Patrignano Association and I help people in this country who are dependent on drugs to go to San Patrignano. And I help the young people from the from the community to come to the UK to live and live and work. So it's hard to describe it in like five minutes because it's so yeah. extraordinary, but it's a massive impact on me as a human being. Yeah, wow! It sounds so awesome, and obviously you're having a huge effect on people who are suffering, and I think that's amazing. And yeah, keep it up. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big believer in. Um, environment is everything so taking a look at you know let's say your four closest friends and if they're not inspiring you to become better finding new ones like have you ever had to make a decision to leave negative people um that you know might not have the same goals or you know i'm 55 in november i think just naturally you you know when you're when i was younger i was far more social and far more it goes back to that point you made about self-love so mm. when I was much younger you know you almost have a FOMO fear of missing out so oh, yeah <laughs> to go to parties and oh, yes I have to go but when part of maturing I think is being comfortable in your own skin and I mm. think naturally you you end up having a core group of people that inspire you you have a core group of of friends and then the rest become kind of like associates, or not associates, the rest become like acquaintances. And that's yeah. just a natural part of life. I've never had to, I've never had to consciously uncouple from, yeah. <laughs> from any, other, any other people, but it just happened a very natural process, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so when are you next coming to Australia? <laughs> I think... <laughs> so I just had my wonderful niece here, uh, Annika, who who you yeah. know, Dylan. Uh, and you got me in contact she, with you. Yeah, she is inspired, reminded me of all the beautiful and wonderful things about home. <laughs> so if I don't come home at Christmas, I will come home for the new year for sure. Yeah, awesome. And lastly, if you had any advice to give to any aspiring entrepreneurs let's say around 16 to 22 what would it be do what you love yeah really don't don't follow a path because you feel you have to don't if you love something go for it and don't be afraid if you fail because fail from failure you can learn a great deal but if you do what you love in life then you'll be absolutely fine perfectly summed up right there danny thank you so much for jumping on and i know you're on a tight schedule so we'll leave it at that and um yeah thanks again for jumping on my pleasure love to everyone in australia thanks so much for making it this far everyone that's the end of today's podcast um how good was that learning so much from danny and also getting into some interesting uh topics of discussion that um aren't spoken about a lot and yeah it was awesome to have um so guys if you did enjoy this podcast please take a screenshot of it chuck it up on your instagram story so more people can see it and you never know um it might reach that one person who spurs them to get into that food industry that they've always been striving to do and 
yeah, this podcast is solely about that, just helping other people find their passion and me find mine along the way too. So <laughs> we're in this together. Um, but how awesome is this? So uh, in the next episode, it's going to be with uh, local legends from Burley Heads, Dane and Dan, and how they started King Brown Pomenade. Pomade, um, probably pronounced it wrong, but... Yeah, so the, I'm super stoked to share you with you guys that one. And that's going to be released in the coming days. So stay tuned. And today, make it your priority to put a smile on someone else's face. You have an awesome one, Legends. Thanks again for watching and stay tuned for the next episode.